0: I'd like to start with a little exercise. Now, if you're not comfortable, you don't have to participate. But if you do, I would like you to follow my instructions. So I'm going to read two statements. And if you agree with the first statement, you can raise your right hand. And if you agree with the second statement, please raise your left hand.
1: Again, you don't have
0: to vote. But please only vote for one if you do. Are we ready? I like chocolate. I like vanilla. Only vote for one. (laughs) Muhammad Ali was the greatest athlete of the modern era. Michael Phelps is the greatest athlete of the modern era. So, right hand Muhammad Ali, left hand Michael Phelps. I believe in supporting our active military and our veterans. I believe in ending war. I would like to ensure that people of our country have decent jobs for decent wages. We need to convert completely to sustainable energy production immediately. Thank you, you can put your hands down. So we actually have a, we have a problem in our culture. I know, coming from me, that sounds like quite a surprise, I'm sure. <laughs> but sadly, it's true, and to be fair, we might have more than one problem. But there's at least one basic problem I'd like us to consider this morning. It is indeed the, the uh, problem of the either or the problem of what I'm calling the false binary. Now philosophers sometimes call this perhaps the false dilemma. And it really comes down to the concept that there are only two valid alternatives to any choice or situation. Turn left or turn right, pick yes, pick no, vote Democrat or Republican never a middle or third option let alone a fourth a fifth or a fiftieth now our first little exercise should have demonstrated how problematic this can be and how uncomfortable it might make us at times but we see this dynamic everywhere we see it in our politics our churches our institutions our very daily lives you're either for this or against that, and there's no room left for remaining in between, for ambivalence, for dialogue, for compromise. Now, advertisers are particularly adept at doing this, trying to make us think that buying their product will make us either popular or unique, while at the same time trying to convince us that we'd rather be Either popular or unique our political structure in this country has been for centuries dominated by a two-party system it only reinforces this binary in primaries more often than not a voter votes the slate selecting only for candidates from one of the two major parties likewise a jury decides guilty or not guilty, nothing in between. Many if not most of our concepts revolve around a binary either or system of thinking. Gay or straight, male or female, conservative or liberal, rural or urban, capitalist or socialist, hip hop or country, Mm -hmm. disciplined or fun loving, When we know, we know deep in our hearts that, as our fellow Unitarian, Walt Whitman so aptly said, we contain multitudes. We contain multitudes and so cannot simply exist in a world of on-off, yes-no, red-green, We know now, scientifically, about the continuum theory of parallels, that things previously conceived as either or are really both and everywhere in between. Gender theory, for example, which has advanced leaps and bounds ahead of what I studied even a mere decade ago, now recognizes a true continuum of gender more akin to the multiple gender theories acknowledged by some American nations prior to colonization than to the simple girl-boy, woman-man dichotomy we've embraced for centuries as Westerners. And what's incredible is that even Westerners, Western philosophers in particular, dismissed this binary thinking a long time ago. Again, this is what, what's called a false dilemma. It is reducing a complex problem to the two extreme poles of action and ignoring the infinite number of possibilities in between. Or as defined by the philosophy department of Texas State University, which has a surprisingly good website on this topic, by the way. And actually this, this phrase is probably written by some poor grad student teaching assistant, um, but I like it anyway, it's a good definition. It says. When you reason, you reason from an either or position and you haven't considered all relevant possibilities, then you are committing the fallacy of false dilemma. Now, a fallacy is to logic as a flat tire is to a motorcycle race. It's a game ender. An exposed fallacy, either intentional or not, ends any logical argument's validity of being accepted, regardless of how accurate the end result may be. So, that is to say, if a person makes an argument based on two possible decisions, and a third decision is proved possible, then their argument fails whether or not the resulting decision is indeed the best one. And despite this knowledge, again, from Western philosophers uh, whose other advice to us on things like individual property rights, freedom of choice, uh, freedom of religion, have so influenced our contemporary culture and systems of governance that it seems all but lost from us. If we are to watch news coverage or listen to what passes for political discourse in this day and age, as there are over 7 billion of us living and breathing and contributing to humanity on this planet. We have simply too many perspectives, too many viewpoints and self-interests for there to be only one truth. It simply doesn't make sense. What I see now from this pulpit is not what any of you see from your seats or what anyone outside this building sees right now. No, the only way we are lulled into that false sense of binary understanding is for the convenience and as the result of the unconscious and intentional manipulation of those in power. Those in power who seek to remain in power by limiting the options of the rest of us to absurdly reductive choices. This railroads us into believing, like the people in the song, that there is only one way to be successful and happy, locked in metaphoric and literal boxes of understanding, both of which are without true, enduring substance. Now again, I'm calling this the false binary. Philosophers speak of the false dilemma And writers often speak of this as the danger of the single story. When acclaimed Nigerian-American novelist, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, is told by a student who has read her last novel that it's such a shame Nigerian men were domestic abusers like the father character in her book. She quipped back, well, I just finished reading American Psycho (laughs) And isn't it a shame that all young men in America are serial murderers? She goes on to explain that it never would have occurred to her to think that an American character was somehow representative of all Americans. Because of America's cultural and economic power, she had many stories of America. She says she has read Tile and Updike and Steinbeck. Gateskill. But the same is not true for Americans' story of Africa, and leads to the flat and degrading images most of us conjure when when asked to think about the 54 countries and one and a quarter billion people who make up the continent we simply think of collectively as Africa. This, Adichie explains, is the direct result of the storyteller, in our case, the dominant cultural norms of post-imperial America. The same is true of our uh, aggregate views in Mexico and many other places we have visited or know particularly well. Now, some theologians in our history have pointed out this problem as well. The so-called process theologians of the late 19th and early 20th centuries by a man named Alfred North Whitehead, basically refuted the long-standing monotheistic claim that existence, humanity, and divine itself were static and immovable, and suggested rather that all creation, as is all experience, is constantly changing, evolving, developing, Whitehead and the other processed theologians who would follow found in the reality of constant birth and death and rebirth a transience, an impermanence to reality that compelled them to look in places other than the absolutes of dogma and church doctrine. Given our transient and temporary natures, As individuals experiencing creation, there cannot be a simple yes or no answer when it comes to questions of faith, where you are either included in the kingdom of God or not, included in the community of love or not, without constant observation and reevaluation of the present circumstance, and to adjust our actions accordingly. But this is admittedly hard to do. It's hard. It is so much easier, so much more convenient to work from a binary, to say yes or no without having to think or examine or observe or measure. That person is a bad person and I don't need to engage or that person is a good person and is my friend regardless of what happens. That issue is clearly one-sided and I have no need to listen to the opposing view. But reality is so much more complex than these. We cannot confront an issue like police violence against our citizens of color without also acknowledging that our police are underpaid, underappreciated, and often thrust into some impossible situations made worse by the proliferation of sanctioned and illegal firearms all throughout this country. We cannot address factory emission standards without also recognizing the families whose livelihood may be threatened in closing old businesses which don't meet current environmental standards and providing accordingly. And we cannot even begin to address our country's immigration policy without examining how dependent our economy actually is on underpaid, undocumented workers who sacrifice everything to be here. No, while we live in a world awash in the either or proposition, we need a mindset and a faith of both and. But the good news is, we already have one. Right here, right now and off and on for the last 150 years, right here in this very space in Kenosha, we've had this faith. It's called universalism. And at its very core is this concept of multitudes, the concept of both and. Universalism doesn't say a single perspective is supreme but rather expands to incorporate and encourage a diversity of thoughts to represent a diversity of people. Universalism has said for centuries that we are all children of the divine and therefore the divine is expressed in each and every one of us, not in a single person or a single gender or race or religion. Universalism and other liberal religious traditions have proclaimed that the most sacred discipline in our lives is not the holy sacraments of Catholicism or the daily prayers of Islam, but the willingness and the ability to enter into dialogue with others, hear what they have to say and genuinely try, genuinely try to learn from it. This is a faith which nearly 2,000 years before the big bang, big crunch theories of cosmic creation and collapse, said that we all come from a single source, and to a single source we shall all return. And as such, we are all important, we are all sacred, we are all saved. And so our individual opinions, experiences, and beliefs are relevant not only to ourselves, but to all of us. Again, nearly 2,000 years before the global environmental crisis began to be undeniable, Universalism said that we are all in this together, and that our own redemption is indelibly linked to that of our fellow human beings. This is what Theodore Parker was talking about when he said, it takes the whole of humanity to do justice to the whole truth. And what Dr. King famously called a century later, the inescapable network of mutuality. That universalist concept of containing all at once, regardless of the differences among us. Universalism is the truth that holds all the diversity in one vessel of love and responsibility, affirming both the love to which we are subject and of which we are deserving, but also the role we are to play in spreading this love throughout existence. Quite simply, universalism is too big a truth to be limited by false binaries, and in following it, we know that it is possible to be both a pacifist who rejects military action and a person who upholds the rights and care of our returning veterans. Universalism calls us to realize that it is not only possible but necessary to be both against police violence and for better training, compensation, and resources for law enforcement. Universalism teaches us that we must consider both the economic and sociological impacts of shifting manufacturing practices and the overall impact to our environment. And universalism makes room for both the wisdom of the ancients and personal knowledge of our own experiences. So the next time you are asked to select between two options, Take a moment to ponder universalism and think not only of the choices given, but those left unsaid. And whenever possible, try to take the both-and approach. Our discourse, our dialogue, our community, and our very selves will be both more whole and more loving as a result. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.